You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God, but finding it in it is hard. It's like trying to find God. You're the only one in your camp with cheese. You pay for everything they eat. Man, that insecurity is deep. Now I ain't said no names. These are just theories if you hear me, baby. It's home. You must admit it's kind of eerie, baby. Like them chemtrails in the sky. Grand Rising, everyone. Welcome to the day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday. And joining me today, I'm really excited because I haven't sat with Caesar in a really long time. Caesar Condesales is in the building. We're going to be talking about some of the stories he's been covering out here in community and the importance of independent media so that we can be on the scene covering these stories that sometimes are not covered by anyone else. And so I'm excited that Caesar is here to shine some light on some of those stories. Uh, but of course, it is the top of the show. So it's a great time to tag and share the stream. That's right. Go ahead and participate by tagging and sharing the stream with folks you feel could benefit from a daily dose of dopeness right here on the day with Trey. And if you cannot watch us on this amazing TV show. Don't worry. You know, you may miss some of my fabulous outfits, but we got you covered on the podcast. Just go to your favorite podcast platform and search Converge Media Network and The Day with Trey. Y'all will find me on Google, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Apple Music, whichever one is your favorite Y'all will find me there. So uh, search us, find us, help share us, tell people about us. We appreciate all of that work and that collaboration right here on The Day with Trey in the Black Media Matters studios. But without further ado, Caesar's been busy pounding the pavement. And for all of those who are following us, particularly on our Instagram channels, y'all are seeing these amazing stories come out. But if you don't follow us on YouTube, do that too. Um, Caesar is uh, so phenomenal in the ways that he shapes and tells stories, bringing his years of expertise to these amazing stories happening in our community. What's up, Caesar? Hi, Trey. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Glad well, to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you had time because it just looks like you've been one busy guy out here uh, doing it all. You carry the camera, you got the audio, you're editing the stories, uh, but you really have a, an extensive background in this. And for those who may not know, just give us a bit of your background that brought you to be like, this is how I'm bringing myself to see myself as a part of the solution by sharing these stories. Tell us a bit about your background. Well, you know, I worked uh, for about 20 years in TV news as a producer. I was never the guy on camera until now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I worked for a couple of networks, mostly in Washington, D.C. and Dallas, Texas, uh, doing politics and nat natural disasters, also man-made disasters like terrorist acts and shootings and things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, now that I'm in Seattle, you know, I, I worked in a nonprofit um, organization here in Seattle, United Way of King County. And it really, you know, it really started, it opened my eyes even more about, uh, you know, what happens to uh, people of color, black people, you know, uh, brown people like me, uh, what we had to go through. You know, I've been the recipient of racist attacks, uh, verbal uh, attacks, not nothing violent or anything like that. But Nothing like you see now with, you know, George Floyd and other in other cases where people like black people just get killed. Um, so, yeah, so that my focus now is trying to bring those stories of what's happening out in the community, in our community, 
in Seattle and South Seattle and the Central District and bring in you those stories. Yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate you for pounding the pavement the way you do, because honestly, uh, like like you got a call from me yesterday. I'm like, Caesar, something's going down in the morning. Like, can you be there? Um, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to have that independently as a media company, because there are so many things going on all the time that just don't get the light of day. And I, I can imagine that what you're doing now uh, more on this independent track is very different than what you were doing when you were part of networks. Am I right? Oh yeah. I mean, every event that I covered, you know, with the networks, you would have 30 cameras nowadays. in some of the stories that I cover, I am the only media person there, like literally the only person with a camera and trying to, to do these stories, you know, um, we were talking earlier before we got on the show about Rainier Beach High School and how they had two town halls um, about gun violence and just violence in general in, in their communities down south. Um, the first town hall, it's like really, really important one. I was the only camera there. I was the only media person there. And I brought that story to you to converge um, just after I talked to all these kids and listening to them, uh, to the students, listening to the students uh, talk about what they go through, like they don't feel safe in and around school. Um, and they don't, they, they don't feel like they can call 911 because they don't know if the police is there for them or against them. Mm -hmm. The second town hall, there was one other print reporter there, but that was it. And that was with Chief uh, Diaz, the police chief Diaz. He was there. And again, I was the only one. And interestingly, there was a third one just a few weeks after that at Roosevelt High School. And that, interestingly, got some coverage from the Seattle Times. And again, we talk about, you know, what's, you know, the North versus the South, the South Seattle, uh, the, um, I guess, marginalized communities don't get as much coverage, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the underserved communities, the Central District and South Seattle, Rainier Beach area. Well, so. they continue to be underserved, right? I mean, uh, you're you're talking about it right there. And it's like, OK, what's the difference between students at Roosevelt coming together to talk about gun violence and students at Rainier Beach? Right. And particularly because, to be honest, what we, we heard in the pieces you covered at Rainier Beach was these students are dealing with it in a real personalized impactful way where mm -hmm. it is making them have to adjust their lives because they're losing friends their mm -hmm. friends are getting shot getting harmed being injured right people that they know like this is happening to to them in a sense mm -hmm. based on their friend groups and peer groups and uh, their personal approach to what they shared and the reason why it was so important to get chief diaz there uh, was so key to that. But uh, again, thank you for being on the ground and for covering stories like of this. Course. I mean, this for me, Caesar, is honestly one of those things that as a mother, uh, you know, I'm in the federal way area and I'm always saying, you know, federal way now has 14 percent black families, but there isn't enough happening to really center those families lived experience with regard to creating new policy legislation that addresses some of the disparities that families face, particularly families from the global majority. And, and I, I use global majority um, instead of BIPOC because I realize 
that's exactly what we are. We've never been minorities. These these kind of words matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate that you have been on, on the ground. You've been covering a lot of different stories, though. What are some of the ones that really stick out to you uh, in the recent months since you've been with me that you've been able to cover? Uh, you know, that's a great one there with Rainier Beach. What's another story that you've been able to cover where maybe you were the only one? You know, it's it's kind of sad, but, you know, one of the most impactful ones also was uh, the Elijah Lewis, uh, where, I, where I saw you, uh, the remembrance event, um, you know, and again, it's uh, unfortunate gun violence. Um, those, are, those are some of the, the stories I've, I cover some some other lighter, lighter stories, you know, like the uh, Odessa Brown uh, Children's Clinic down in uh, down South Seattle. Um they opened up last year and they've had a couple of events there. They opened up um, an outdoor patio for, for our kids because it's not just a clinic. There's also a, a preschool childcare center mm. and they opened up this outdoor learning area, like a classroom where, you know, and I got to interview kids. And I don't know, I don't know if you remember seeing some of the video that I got that <laughs> the kids wanted to be on camera and then they got shy. So I had to like chase them, chase them, you know, with a smile. Come on, let, talk to me, talk to me. That was really fun. Um, but you know, those stories are, are really, they, they, they always stick out because I, I love kids, you know, and it's, it's always fun to talk to them. And the interviews that I got were interesting. They were kind of funny because they, at first they really want to do it. And then they just go shy and they don't know what to do, <laughs> but you know, but I'm also, um, I'm currently, I'm working on a story, an interesting story. It's going to be a little bit of a longer format because it's, uh, it, it's, there's a lot of history. Uh, the Houston family, they uh, moved from rent, from uh, Louisiana down south to, um, they, they moved to Renton uh, in the in 1950s and they bought land. They bought 10 acres of land uh, in un, unincorporated King County, uh, not quite Renton at the time. It was 10 acres. Uh, in, nine, in the 1960s, uh, they suffered through fires, inten- arson. Uh, one bombing, the school district uh, was trying to buy the land uh, from this family. Uh, the family refused because they used to make their living. That was their home. That's, they lived off the land, farming, raising pigs and chickens and, and all that. They didn't want to sell the land. Mm. The school district threatened eminent domain, and they forced them to sell the land, taking everything away fr- from them. The family broke up. It was, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but I'm telling. I'm going to tell that story. I've inter- I've done interviews with the two two of the sons. Um, they have children and grandchildren. Um, the family is now trying to seek reparations from the school district because the school district bought the land on the grounds that they were going to put up a new school on that farm, and they never built it. And ten years later, after they bought the land, they sold it to developers. Developers came in and built 200 houses on that land. The family was left with nothing. You know, one of the things um, this gentleman, John Houston, told me was my mother did everything right through her life, trying to raise kids, and she died penniless. So they're hoping after they saw what happened at Bruce Beach in Los Angeles, where 100 years ago, Los Angeles took the land from this black family through eminent domain. Um, two years ago, the, the Bruce family descendants uh, sought reparations from, from the city. And I, I believe it was last year they finally got some. The the city, I think the the deal was they sold, they gave them the, the descendants the land back, uh, 
and the descendants sold the city, the, the beach back to, to the city and they made money out that way. You know, now it's, I guess they divided it among all the, the family members, wow. but that, that gave the Houston family, the Houston descendants here in Renton gave them hope that maybe that something like that could be done for them. Well, you know, again, the, these are the kind of stories, you know, I'll say, too, when I was in major news network, um, there were so many different things that were coming through the assignment line. Right. I was working the assignment desk and it'd be like all these amazing human interest stories. And so we would have a log of them and some producers were able to pick them up or not. And we started to realize, and you know this, the stories that come through the wire are the ones that get the priority. And so nationally, uh, there is this wire where stories come through and that's how stories get picked up. And that's how, you know, uh, we end up seeing a lot of the same headlines across the country because of this national wire where stories come through. But I realized that there was so much um, inspiration and different types of news stories that were being left in this backlog of like human interest stories. And, you know, it's just the way that major networks are set up. It's not, you know, the producer's fault or really, I don't know if there's fault involved. It's just the way that they're set up to tell certain news stories that these kinds of news stories often don't see the light of day on those networks. And so you being able to, to find stories like this and to, to shine a light on them, tell us about that process because something like that is, is a phenomenal story happening right here in our backyard in Renton, right? Right here in, in unincorporated King County uh, or in, in King County in Renton. This is major news, right? Because again, 200 homes, that is a huge plot of land where a developer was able to come in and rake money off the coals. And I always want to follow the numbers, but how do you find a story like that, Caesar? We are fortunate, you know, people contact Converge, they contact Amari and let him know what stories that are happening. Um, you know, it was the same thing with the Rainier Beach High School Town Hall. Uh, somebody told him that this was happening. Uh, this story came through, came in the same way. We're fortunate that we have uh, community members who contact Converge and let us know what is happening. Um, you know, we look at all the stories. Um, this story, obviously, it's, it's, it's going to be a little longer. Um, it takes a little more time to develop this. Um, but I've done uh, several interviews, you know, people's memories fade, but in this case, they're not, they have not faded. Um, this, the, James Houston, the brother of John Houston, who lives out in Bremerton, I went down there to interview him, and we spoke for an hour and a half about his life and how it how it all happened, because he's a little older, so he remembers all this much very clearly. Like he remembers the bomb that went off in the on their porch and left the hole on the on the ground and like knocked on the door. Um, but you know things like that. Stories like that just come through, come to us from community members. You know, that that's really a, a, a shining testament to the impact that Converge has had on community for us to be able to be there um, in a way that we're accessible to community members to be able to reach out and share these stories. And it's so interesting because I have stories come to me and I'm always like, how can we make sure that we do this story justice? And 
And I'm grateful that this work allows us to kind of sometimes see uh, in between the cracks a bit too mm -hmm. about how to actually shape these kinds of stories in ways that we know are going to produce impactful media once we're done with something. So I appreciate that you've been there and been a, a trusted source um, as a partner with us at Converge and really a Converge correspondent going out to capture all of this um, uh, amazing inspiration that's going on in our community. Caesar, I can't thank you enough. Uh, and I want to publicly thank you for being there this morning. Thank you. Uh, something came through again. I'm sure we'll be seeing the fruits of that work. Um, but I just thank you. I don't know if you also share these stories on your personal Instagram or anything like that, but I want to be able, if folks are like, hey, I need to connect with Caesar or I want to, you know, send some stuff to Converge, um, let them know right there. Look in that camera. Let them know how yeah. they do it. So I am uh, I am on Instagram and I share all the stories uh, on, on Instagram. Uh, I used to be on Twitter. I left Twitter a few months ago um, and on LinkedIn. Uh, but on Instagram, you can find me at ccanizales25. So that's C-C-A-N-I-Z-A-L-E-S 25. That's, that's where I am. And you'll see my, my portrait picture on, the, on Instagram is me trying to interview one of those kids that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> He's hiding inside like this, this toy house. And I have my microphone trying to interview this kid. It's the funniest thing. But it was, you know, one of those fun stories. Not everything has to be hard news and has to be difficult. Some of those stories can be fun. That's right. And, and you know, we love to say, you know, here, like, let's, let's not leave people in an affected state. Thank you so much, Caesar, for being a part of Converge and being out here on the ground telling these stories. Appreciate you. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Oh, y'all. Uh, just great to hear, you know, all of these great stories Caesar has going on. Uh, I actually have a special guest in the building. I get to talk to somebody who's also covering amazing stories because we got Brian Callanan in the building. I get to chop it up with my guy, Brian, right after this short break. Stay tuned, y'all. You're watching The Day with Trey. COVID-19 are my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in. They talked to our lender and saved our home because falling on hard times does not have to mean losing your home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHAF.org. What's up, everybody? You know, me and Besa, my girl, we had to pull up to Market Street Shoes once again, y'all. And you know, we do this every season. We have to get the new shoes, the new boots. And this time, I even got a coat. Yeah, no, you did walk in without a coat. I really I'm did. glad you found one. But their boots were on point. Yes, the boots, the bags. I even grabbed a flannel. Yeah, you did. You know, and I was able to get some hats and everything. I was really impressed. And you know, I was impressed because, of course, I got those white boots that you guys see me wearing everywhere these days. Yeah, no, I, I look at your white boots and I'm like, darn it, they only have one pair. Me and Basie wear the same size. Of course, every time we walk out with several bags in hand. Several bags and sometimes even a backpack, you guys. Make sure you check out Market Street Shoes. Yeah, please check them out. Where they go, Basa? Ooh, 2232 Northwest Market Street, Seattle, Washington. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday. Joining me right now is my guy, Brian Callanan from Seattle News, Views and Bruce. What's up, Brian? Oh, it's good to be here, Trey. Thanks for having me on the show again. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. I'm glad we can get you here today. I know. It's a special day. It's a yeah. little special Thursday. Well, we got special guests in the building, yeah. too. I got to give a shout out. Yeah. Tell yeah. us who's in the building with us, Brian. Uh, my mom and dad, Joan and Charles Callanan, are here, and they're very excited about being inside to get a daily dose of dopeness with you, Trey. You know what it's all about. Right on. Yeah. I love it. And welcome. <laughs> welcome so much. Uh, well, Brian, y'all definitely talked about a lot yesterday on Seattle News, Views and Brews. And yeah. I know uh, we had did some pre-recordings, but I wanted to hear yeah. some of these topics because we got some hot topics going on right we now. We really do. And this is, I guess, just a recap of what was on Seattle News, Views and Brews last night here on Converge at 7. But I did want to talk about what's going on with the governor's race. The fact that Governor Inslee is not running again, our 23rd governor, has been there for three terms which ties him as the longest running governor in our state, he's not running again. That really, it opens up the field in some ways, but I think we all know some of the candidates that are really wanting to replace him. And right now we're looking at Attorney General Bob Ferguson. He came out with an announcement like less than 24 hours after Jay Inslee made his announcement. So he was ready to go, had a three and a half minute ad all, all dialed up. Wow. He's got a lot of money in his coffers in terms of uh, campaign dollars out there. Hillary Franz is also going to be running. She's the commissioner of public land. So those are the top two Dems. In terms of the Republican side, I think that's the very interesting story. Very open field there. There's a candidate from Richland who's a school board member there, but looks like that school board member is actually under investigation for some things that were not done properly around COVID, et cetera. So I'm not quite sure where the Republicans are going to be going with this, but this is going to be a real opportunity for them, I think, as we try to see what's going on with this race next year. And really, the campaigning begins now. I think you're going to see a lot from Bob Ferguson. As I said, he's got literally millions of dollars in his campaign coffers and getting ready to go. But I think it's something exciting because when you talk about the governor's race, I think there's always a, a thought in our state that we're going to see some change. Will it be a change? I'm not quite sure because we have a Democratic governor as a, a on a long stretch, just as long as about anybody in the country. So I'm interested to see what happens next with that. Well, this is something that all of us in terms of Washingtonians can get behind because we are talking about a, a possible shift in mm -hmm. ideology and power to yeah. a certain degree. Yep. And I think that that's really key when we talk about the governor's race. Yep. Uh, also, there are so many things that Governor Inslee has been enacting. Yeah. I always think with any change of power, mayor, governor, whoever. Sure. What kind of things are going to continue and what's going to drop off? Right? Yeah, That's yeah. a huge deal. I think it is, too. The work that he's done with climate change, certainly. I think we've seen a lot of efforts around that with the legislature, in, certainly in this past year, talking about some of the carbon offsets they're collecting now, some of the dollars they're accepting for that now. So that's going to be part of Jay Inslee's legacy, too. I will say, though, Jay Inslee was very much about trying to make sure that we created a new mental health system in our state really trying to move away from the institutional type system and have something that was really in more neighborhoods, more communities in our state, that didn't happen. So in terms of stuff that he was not able to do, I would definitely look at that. Whoever's picking up that torch, well, guess what? You're going to have to really work on that because that's an issue that I think he did leave on the table that was not complete. So I'm concerned about that. Um, I also want to make sure that in terms of the work that needs to be going on right now, I mean, there is some work that the legislature still needs to get done. So Jay Inslee, in terms of using his influence, really needs to work on something such that 
he can get the job done that the legislature did not get done. He wants to put the pressure on such that our drug possession bill, we've talked about this a few different times. That was something that the state legislature failed in its duty. And I got to say over this past 105 day session, but there's a special session now coming up here in the middle of May on May 16th. The governor is very hopeful or else he wouldn't have called for this special session. He's very hopeful they can get something done. But is it going to be a misdemeanor? Is it going to be a gross misdemeanor? I think the the legislature still needs to figure that out. Yeah. And I mean, in addition to that, too, I mean, he just put forth a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, budget. Yeah, he did. That mm -hmm. had a lot of money toward our houseless population. That's true. That's true. And that's something that I think is going to be a key marker for anyone yeah. who's looking yeah. to take on yeah. the governor's seat, because yeah. we are still dealing with these large numbers yeah. of unhoused folks throughout the state. Yeah. Yeah. Affordable housing is, thank you for bringing that up. That was a big, big part of his agenda this past year. And I think the legislature took the torch up and really said, okay, we're going to be doing this missing middle housing thing, right? We're going to encourage more duplexes, fourplexes, sixplexes all around the state. I'm interested to see how that goes. There's been some investments in homelessness services too. So I think that's a huge part, Trey, because when you think about that issue, that's not going away next year or the year after that. That's something that's definitely the long haul. And if that's not front and center on whoever's running for governor. If that's not front and center on their minds, then they're missing a big, big part of it. That's what all the public polls say. They're very interested in that homeless population. They're very interested in public safety too. What's going to happen there? What's, I mean, we had some big talk about police chases. Now we're talking about drug possession, you know, so public safety is definitely a part of that too, for any new governor who wants to throw themselves in the ring. Well, there's an interesting intersection, I think too, between uh, when we talk about public safety and we talk about unhoused populations, yep, yep. we have seen that city after city, there's a lot of cities who are saying, well, we don't know if we want the shelters yeah, here. We don't right. know if we yep, want, yep. right. And so, and, and one of their main concerns is, what's left afterward oftentimes, yeah. right? In mm. terms of public safety. Sure. Um, and so they talk about, you know, folks that are still dealing with addiction that yeah. are out on the streets and how that spills over into public safety issues. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of intersectionality there as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds like maybe Seattle is like with this social house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. more about that because maybe they're trying to figure out some type of middle ground. Right? Yeah, they, they, there's so many different pieces going on here. I'm glad you brought up that social housing piece because we did talk about that on the podcast as well this week. If you'll remember, we voted for this as a city here. 57% of us voted in favor of this, this initiative 135, the social housing measure. And a lot of people were a little confused about it, I think, when it first came down. But this is basically something that is set to provide affordable housing for people, not just of low income levels, but all the way up to 120% of the area median income, which is a big deal. And I want to put this in perspective here because we're also working on the Seattle housing levy. This is separate, but that's coming up in November. And this is just something I think a lot of people might get confused. And I really wanted to break this down. So we talked about it on the podcast here. But with social housing, it's topical right now because the city of Seattle has just set this board, this 13 member board that's going to oversee the social housing network. And essentially what they're doing is they're working on acquiring different properties and they're trying to make sure that those properties are set up such that people of low income, people of slightly higher income, they're going to be able to live in these different areas and the rent would be maxed out for them at 33% of their income. This is important because a lot of the units we have around right now is like the Seattle housing levy units, for example, they're set at this 30% level of the area median income, let's say. So let's say you found another job and you made a little bit more than that. 
guess what? You're not living in that place anymore, right? Because there's certain limits and thresholds on there. So what this new social housing measure is trying to do is allow for a little more flexibility there so that people can continue to live there. There's definitely a big push as well for allowing the different renters that are involved there to have some leadership roles there. So it's something very new. Uh, Montgomery County in Maryland is the only other jurisdiction in the United States who does this. There's a number of other places around the world. Helsinki is one of them. There's a lot of international examples with this, but we are the first city, city of Seattle, that's tried this in the entire nation. So I think there's going to be some stutter steps to begin with. They needed some startup money. They got about 200,000 of the 800,000 they were looking for from the state. I think that's going to be able to get them through this next year, but I'm going to be very interested in what the city of Seattle does, the council in particular, to say, all right, we're going to put some more dollars into here because as you know, there's a lot of different places they can put their money. And are they going to be supporting the social housing measure in the same way I know they're going to be supporting the housing levy? This is where it's going to get a little bit interesting this fall, for sure. Oh, housing the Lord. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. This is the kind of stuff that we geek out about. For sure. We, I mean, because, Brian, <laughs> honestly, uh, I love the fact that we are trying something new. Yeah. We've been saying it uh, time and time again, almost every time we get together. There is a need for us to try new measures when we're talking about addressing the issue that none of these other things have really been able to yeah. address wholeheartedly. And also, this is really interesting to me because as you are a family growing your income sure. and looking to maybe get from affordable housing mm -hmm. to uh, affordable home ownership, right, right. the gap there yeah. is large yeah. and nothing has really been able to fill that gap. So this for me is one of those ways that Seattle is saying, maybe this is something we can do differently yeah. so that folks can actually build the, the foundation, the budget and the financial uh, basis they yeah. need to move from being a renter to becoming a homeowner. That's a big and deal. That's really, that's really key because we have to talk about that in terms of generational wealth yeah. building mm -hmm. and moving things forward and closing the racial wealth divide. That's a big part of it, Brian. I, uh, so so I too. love that y'all were able to tackle that. Yeah. Uh, lastly, what one last thing, what, what else did y'all cover? Uh, we were talking about a whole ton of different things, including what was going on with the governor's race, what was going on with who could be the, the new governor there. And just that last piece, about the different work that the state needs to do to fix our drug possession laws. That's a huge part of what we were talking about. I think the thing that I'm really interested in, and uh, David Croman brought this up, he's the co-host, of course, on the show, and he's the transportation reporter for The Times. He was talking about the new rebuild of Elliott Way connecting essentially the waterfront into Belltown there. I know some people have said, well, it's, it's too wide. It's going to be too dangerous or whatever else. But yeah, some freight concerns too. Those folks need to get through. And they did add a bike lane there. I think this is one of those kind of proof is in the pudding type of situations. But I'm really interested to see how that actually plays out there, that new Elliott Way. And what shocks me about it, and I think is is really challenging for me, is to realize that, wow, by the year 2025, a year and a half from now, that waterfront area is going to be done. We're going to have that hill climb coming down from Pike Place to the waterfront and just something that has taken so long to come together. I mean, do you remember a time when it wasn't under construction oh down there, God. right? Oh, my God. It's really interesting. And I, David's got a good finger on the pulse in terms of different people who are interacting with that space. What's it need to do for pedestrians? What does it need to do for bicyclists? What does it need to do for freight? And so uh, he started the story, I would say, on the podcast here. But there's a lot more to come on that for sure. I just love that you brought this up. Yeah. I was there Tuesday, right? Cool, cool. And I'm like trying to find the Pier 62. Uh-huh. And I yeah. was like. It's right after 61, Trey. Yeah, you got like, it. Oh, my gosh. I was like discombobulated, <laughs> you know, a bit. 
But I will say, and this is what's exciting, being able to see the final design of what Mm -hmm. Friends of Waterfront have been pushing for and then to see the structure built, uh, uh, you know, the foundation being framed. It's hard to see until you see it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be fun. It's really going to change the look and feel of our entire waterfront and that yeah. entire area. Yeah. So I love that y'all were talking about yeah. it. I was just down there and, and and me and my friend were like, oh my gosh. My yeah. friend was like, this looks like a whole like cruise ship almost. Yeah, yeah. Doing. I know. The, the, the framework of it is very catching to the eye. It is. And of course, while it's building, it's like, oh geez, uh, you know. I can't get around. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah, trying yeah. to like navigate right, right, right. all of it. But I'm excited for 2025 yeah. for us to be able to see the final design and be able to utilize it in this interactive way Mm -hmm. to connect Pike Place Market in the waterfront. The fact that, wow, yes. Why didn't we think of this before? Mm -hmm. You know, we need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be amazing. I'm glad y'all were talking about it. Yeah, no, it's cool. Give us uh, how folks can catch up with you, Brian, and be right there while y'all are giving all of us the details on what's going on on Seattle News, Views and Brews. You got it, Trey. Well, make sure you check out the show on Converge. It's on the YouTube channel. Seattle News, Views and Brews. You can catch some past episodes there too. If you want to connect with me, I can do that on Twitter. I can do that on Instagram. Look for at Callanan13 on Instagram or at Callanan Seattle on Twitter. And thank you once again, Trey, for having me here and my folks too. Always. <laughs> and it's a pleasure. I'm glad y'all were able to join us today. Uh, it's always good to speak with you, Brian. Back Until at you, next Trey. time, my thank friend. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, y'all. Thank you so much for watching. I get to wrap it all up right after this short break. Stay tuned. You're watching The Day with Trey. What's up, everybody? You know, me and Besa, my girl, we had to pull up to Market Street Shoes once again, y'all. And you know, we do this every season. We have to get the new shoes, the new boots. And this time, I even got a coat. Yeah, no, you did walk in without a coat. I really did. I'm glad you found one. But their boots were on point. Yes, the boots, the bags. I even grabbed a flannel. Yeah, you did. You know, and I was able to get some hats and everything. I was really impressed. And you know, I was impressed because, of course, I got those white boots that you guys see me wearing everywhere these days. Yeah, no, I, I look at your white boots and I'm like, darn it, they only have one pair. Me and Basin wear the same size. Of course, every time we walk out with several bags in hand. Several bags and sometimes even a backpack, you guys. Make sure you check out Market Street Shoes. Yeah, please check them out. where they go, Basa? Ooh, 2232 Northwest Market Street, Seattle, Washington. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Sorry, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> Welcome yeah. back to the day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday. I just want to thank my guests today, Cesar Carnazales and Brian Callanan and the Callanan clan for being with me. Thank y'all so much. Uh, you know, really, this was an episode to spotlight some of the ways that we are being intentional to tell stories right here at Converge and to be on the front lines when things are going down, but to also Provide the information so that y'all can be engaged and informed viewers. What's happening within your city? How can you bring your brilliance to it? How can you utilize the knowledge to now share it with others? That is so key and important to us here at Converge and to me specifically. So I'm so grateful for the work that Caesar and Brian are both doing to keep even me engaged and informed. I'm inspired by them and the work they do. I want y'all to be inspired to do your part to see yourself as a part of the solution. And for me, excuse me, y'all, I had to burp <laughs> until tomorrow at 11 a.m. Peace. <laughs> Tinga chati kubudirira Mwari alipa uchiwipendura mbayu
Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.